Amen. Well, hey, good to see you guys this morning. And I love you, Orchard Church. <laughs> and last Sunday you found out about me that I also hold Canadian citizenship. Yeah. There's like two other of you Canucks in here going, yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, it is good to see you guys. And did you see the lake out front this morning? Did you come in the front there? And yeah, we'll be giving raft rides right after the service. If you'd like to have one of those, that'd be fabulous. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that chapter, Mark chapter 7. We'll be looking at 7 and 8 this morning. That's on page 408. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you there in the back, 408. And I, I don't know if you're like me, but you know sometimes somebody will say something to you that is the obvious, or they'll say something to you that just makes you go, oh, they really need to get a clue. You know? Has that ever happened to you? Like, uh, you know, sitting on a plane as they're traveling towards Seattle, and the guy next to me turns to me and says, hey, you going to Seattle? <laughs> and you go, nope, San Francisco, I'll be parachuting off in about an hour. <laughs> or, or you come in the house soaking wet, and you're greeted by, is it raining? And you go, nope, I just was running through the sprinklers, you know? You want to go, get a clue, get a clue, people. Or, you know, you pull up to the Christmas tree shop uh, where the, the cut Christmas trees are, and you walk up there, and the guy says, hey, you here to buy a tree? And you're thinking, get a clue. But you say, nope, my son had to go to the bathroom, and these trees look mighty inviting. <laughs> Well, throughout the book of Mark, you know, the emphasis so far has primarily been on what Jesus did. That's why we're calling this series, What Did Jesus Do? And uh, in this section, this morning of our study, we'll find Mark recording some of the teachings, some of the important teachings of Jesus. And he's helping some people to get a clue on some things. There were some misunderstandings and there were some things about God that they didn't know and Jesus is helping them to see the truth here. He's going to help the Jews and then he's going to help the Gentiles and then we're going to see that he's going to help the disciples. So uh, number one this morning, let's take a look at your notes if you've got them there. Uh, the first group that he interacts with is teaching the Jews. He begins to teach the Jews some important things. And we'll find this in Mark 7. And let's look here and we'll start in verse number 1 of Mark 7. It says this, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. And it goes on to say, Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are, there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And we'll stop right there. So the scribes and the Pharisees had a problem with that. And I think, I think also there were some moms there, you know, going, Wash your hands! You guys need to be washing your hands. I'm no, just kidding about that part. Uh, but uh, 
But you'll see here that this chapter starts out, and in, in this chapter, Jesus is going to move around quite a bit. Uh, he's, a, he's in an area called Gennesaret, and it's, a, it's along the Sea of Galilee, along the shore there. And uh, these scribes and these Pharisees, they, they come to him, and they, they want to trap Jesus. They want to find him at fault with a point of the law. You know, the Pharisees were legalists. They followed everything to the letter of the law. The scribes interpreted interpreted that and gave opinion about that and they didn't like each other the Pharisees and scribes but to trap Jesus they were willing to get together and uh, and kind of you make a team and find some fault with him you know they're trying to trap Jesus all throughout what we're going to read today and you would think that if anyone would get along with Jesus while he was on earth it would be the religious of the day but let me tell you why they never got along. It's because Jesus wasn't religious. Jesus wasn't about religion, about these rules and regulations. And, and we, we just read here in verses 1 through 5 about these rules about washing. And come to find out, and Jesus is going to explain this a little bit further, they're not in the Bible. They, they had been added to. And at this time, you've got to understand, at this time in Jewish history, uh, a book had been written by the scribes. It was their first work by Jewish scribes, uh, and it was called the Mishnah. And it contained 186 pages about ceremonial washing. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he, he knows the Word. He is the Word. And these guys come up, and they challenge him about you know, what, the washing of hands. And... Uh, He's, Jesus is just ignoring all of that because it's not a part of the Word of God. And Jesus knows it was a requirement of men, not God. It was something that men had added and written in. And scribes had gotten together and written this, this other book and said, you know what, uh, you know, if it's good for priests, that are, uh, the high priests that are told to do this in the book of Exodus once, uh, shouldn't it be good for all Jews to do this? And shouldn't it be good for them to do it many times during the day? And so they, they added that as a part of their rules and regulations of Jewish life. And so they, they got started getting things backwards. Let's look on at verse 6 and 7, see what it says. Verse 6 says, He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Woo. So Jesus responds back to them, and he quotes Isaiah to these Pharisees and scribes who knew the Old Testament. And so he uses something out of Isaiah. And he's saying, you guys look super religious on the outside. You might wear the right clothes, say all the right things. You, you know, be about you know, acting like you're religious all the time. But your heart is a million miles away from God. That's the point Jesus is making here. He's going, get a clue about that, guys. Get a clue about that. You know, as I read that this week, I thought about some religious groups today. And this is exactly what Jesus was attacking. You know, groups that add to the Word of God, take away from the Word of God, write their own Word, 
hold higher than the Word of God the commandments of some man. Jesus was going after that here. See, folks, God hates a religious outward. Just a showing. God looks at the heart, amen? He looks at the heart. So let me ask you this this morning. Does, does God have your heart? Does He have your heart? Does He have the rightful place in you? Does He have your worship or is it just an outward appearance, even fake worship with your mouth, while your heart is a million miles away from God, thinking about other things? Thinking about what you're doing next after church. Where are you going shopping? Who's here this morning? Who's not here? You know, being all interested in that. Where are you going to lunch? Or when you come into this place, does he continue to have all of you and have your heart? From God's perspective, it's all about the heart. He doesn't want a divided heart. He wants all of your heart. And these guys that have come to Jesus and begin talking to him and accusing him and the disciples, they're a sham. And Jesus is pointing that out. They thought that, oh, with this other book, this mission, we need to put some fences around the Word of God. It was known as the fences around the Word, and we need, to, you know, we need to expound on it, add to it a little bit, amplify it, to comment on it, and therefore change it. To them, in this period of time, the Word of God had become a dead letter, and, and this other book, the Mishnah, was the living application and that, that was backwards. And now they're here on the scene trying to string Jesus up because he's not heeding their interpretation of the law. He's not listening to that. And Jesus says, guys, that is the height of hypocrisy. That is, that is wrong. Let's look at verse 8. He goes on here in this conversation with them. Verse 8 says this, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. He's going to give an example now. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, let him... Uh, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God. Corban is an Aramaic word that means vow or, uh, or oath. He goes on to say, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. We'll stop right there. At this point, and I'm going to explain this a little bit, but these Pharisees and scribes are just smoking mad because Jesus says, you know, this holding the, the commandments of men higher than the word of God. Let me give you an example. And he goes, Corbin. And they got it. They understood it. And Corbin was this. We just put it into our own words. Corbin was this where uh, we are told and, and the, the Jews have been told to honor their father and their mother. And then as their parents got older in life, a couple could have some money and take care of those parents or they could do this 
They could say, you know, we've got some money and we have made a vow, made an oath, and we have given it to the temple. And so it cannot be used to help you, mom and dad. Sorry about that. And then here's what Corbin did. According to the Mishnah, this other book, after mom and dad passed away, they could uncorbin it and get that money back. Is that honoring your mom and dad? Did that make sense to you? They just kind of said, oh, this money can't be used because it's Corbin. It's made of vow. It's to be used only for God's work, not secular stuff. Like taking you guys, taking care of you guys. And then when they passed away, they could get that money back. Got my money back, party, having a hot tub now, doing this, you know, all this stuff. And Jesus goes, hey, let, me, let me give you an example of this, guys. Corbin. And the point is, they were, again, going around the word of God adhering to what men had put into place. I can just see Jesus going, Corbin! And the Pharisees going, did he just say Corbin? I think he did. Oh, bummer, man. He got us on that one. You know, and he's just saying, here's an example of how you guys do it. Just one example. Verse 14, let's continue on here. Verse 14 says this, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated. Fancy word for eliminated. <laughs> you got it. Thus purifying all foods. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. We'll stop right there. Jesus is saying, it's not the stuff on the outside that defiles a man. It's what's on the inside. Sin begins in the heart. That's what he's saying with this parable, and, and he reiterates it with his disciples. It's not about religion. You know, religion says change the environment and you can change the person. You know, if you do enough good works on the outside, eventually, you know, you'll be good on the inside. If you can change a person's habits, you can change their heart. That's what religion says. And Jesus is here saying the exact opposite of all of this. Jesus says the problem isn't what's on the outside with men and women. The problem is the heart. Change the heart. And then you change the person. Let me put this another way. Religion says man is basically good. I mean, there's a few people that have a bent towards evil, but man is basically good. Put them in the right environment, right education, right entitlement. All this goodness is going to come out eventually, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Men and women, people, they're bad to the bone. <laughs> they're bad to the bone in their hearts. And the only hope is a new nature, which comes from a new heart that comes as a result of receiving Christ as your Savior, being what the Bible calls born again. And at this point, 
you know, these, they're all listening to this. He's explaining this further to his disciples. He, he gives some, some examples there. Uh, we're not going to read them again, but verses uh, 21 and 22, quite a list there of some of the evil things that come, comes out of a heart. So either the religious is right about man and that we're basically good, or Jesus is right about us that we're not. And we have a heart problem. Which is it? You know? It's Jesus. Jesus is right. And he proves it. It, it, Doesn't it? Look at that list in verse 21 and 22. You ever thought any of those things? You ever done any of those things? You ever lean toward evil all the time? Your, Your thoughts? We struggle with our thoughts? Wickedness, deceit, you know, all of those things? An evil eye? You know, we're all going to break that one before we get out of the parking lot today. With the evil eye. All right? Pride, foolishness. Jesus is spot on here. He, he knows. And what God is saying here, and Jesus is saying, is it, it's the hearts of men and women. It, it's true. that, that it, It's a no-brainer. You know, if we were to be honest, a lot of us, before we received Christ, before we were saved, we lived for some of those things listed in those verses. If you'd be honest, you'd, you'd agree with that. Houston, we have a problem. That's a problem. Our sins, our thinking, it's out of control. Jesus has a solution. That's the good news. And it's not, it's not therapy. It's not good works. It's not just change your habits. It's not a recovery program for that heart. It's called regeneration. And the Bible talks about it, how when you receive Christ, old things pass away. And all things become new, new hearts, new natures, God's makeover program that is designed just for me and just for you. And by the way, you won't find this makeover program anywhere else. You won't find it at the mall. You won't find it on television. You can't buy it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. So these Religious people, they were ticked off to say the least. They'd do whatever they could to trap, to oppose Jesus. And, you know, there was some increased opposition against Jesus here. That's why we're going to see him now move away from this area and into some Gentile territory. So this first group Jesus was helping was about teaching the Jews. He was saying, get a clue about some of these things. It's not about the externals. It's all about the heart. The second group this morning we'll see from Jesus in this section here. We find him helping the Gentiles. Helping the Gentiles. Mark records three miracles that Jesus performs here as he ministers to these Gentiles in the region of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus, Jesus got away to this area, um, probably not all the way to the coast. It didn't say he went to there, but rather to that region. So up away from the Sea of Galilee, which is behind the drum shield there, and into, the, into that, the land there on the way to Tyre and Sidon. And uh, the, the first help given was, and this is in your notes, casting out a demon. So we're going to see three miracles here. The first one's casting out of a demon. Look at verse 24. We'll see it. Verse 24. It says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. So, so they, he, he gets away from this opposition. He goes to a house, 
in this area. And he, it's a hideout. Let's just say it. It was a hideout. He, wanted, he didn't want anybody to know about it. And as we continue in our study in Mark, let, we'll see now less and less time spent with crowds. Well, there's still some of that. But more and more time spent with the disciples. And uh, Jesus goes off to try to get some quiet, some alone, away from the crowds. But uh, we'll find there that uh, he, he cannot be hidden, the end of verse 24 says. Which, by the way, as a believer, Jesus cannot be hidden in you. As a true believer, he will jump out of you at some point. In a good word that you say to someone, in a prayer that you have with someone, when you least expect it, some loving act of kindness towards someone. If Jesus is truly living in you, he will come out. He will not be hidden in you. And he's not hidden here either in verse number 24. Let's look at verse 25. He goes on to say, For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician at birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Seems like he called her a dog there. Verse 28, and she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. We'll stop right there. Uh, I'm going to mention some things out of the book of Matthew's account of this same story. Uh, Matthew expounds it just a little bit more. But uh, we find that this woman was a Canaanite. Okay, and the Canaanites and the Jews did not get along. We know another Canaanite from the Bible. There's a famous one named Goliath. And uh, the Jews and the Canaanites, they weren't getting along here. It wasn't going to happen. She was also a woman. And in that culture, women weren't valued. And that was really another strike against her as she comes to Jesus with this request. However, none of these barriers stopped her from, from coming to Jesus and, and pressing forward with her plea here. And before you think Jesus is being mean here, uh, let me explain that Jesus is drawing out her faith. She has faith. Book of Matthew says she has great faith, and he's drawing her faith out. And, and Jesus, when he says here in verse 27, let the children be filled first, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, was saying, I recognize what Jews in our culture today call you, woman. They, they call you a mangy dog. That's, that's what they call it. There was, there was racism back then, folks. And, uh, and he, Jesus say, is saying, I recognize that. And in the book of Matthew, we, we read how she makes this request for her daughter to be healed, and Jesus is silent, acts like he doesn't hear it. And then, then he, she makes it again, and the disciples say, send her away. Let's just send her away. Isn't that like the disciples' answer for Everything right in this portion of Scripture. Send, send that thing away. Send that person away. All these people are hungry. Send them away. And, and then uh, Jesus mentions that he has come for the house of Israel. And get kind of a rejection of her and who she is. You know, saying, you know what? You don't really qualify. I can't, can't help you out, lady. And he's drawing out her faith. And she, she keeps on asking and in verse 28, she says, yes, Lord, even the, the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. 
All she wanted was a few crumbs of blessing from the table. Jesus is seeing her faith be great. Have you ever asked something from God and had to ask more than once? And it took faith, didn't it? And this woman is asking and asking, grabbing hold of the opportunity here. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this. I think we've got this for you. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So Jesus is seeing this lady's faith be drawn out. Let me ask you this morning, are you ready to go through that process? You ask something of God, you make a plea to Him. Maybe it's on behalf of your finances or your children or something else in your life, and there's silence. What do you do? You plead to God again in faith, believing that He is the answer. And then there, you might be scorned for that. You might be teased for that, for asking God of that. And you continue because you believe God is the answer. And then someone might say, you know that thing you're asking God for? That's for somebody else, not you. But you believe that God is the answer, so you continue asking. And that produces patience in you. That strengthens your faith. That enlarges your faith. You know, oftentimes we'll do this. God, do something for me. And God's up there going, how about I do something in you? Oh, no, 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 we don't want that, God. Please don't do something in me. <laughs> Just do something for me. You know, drop that barrel of gold at the end of the rainbow. Just do something for me. And God's going, I'm going to take you through a process. I, I'm, I'm concerned about the process you go through. And Jesus helps this woman with her faith to get a clue about her deep faith, to see that she had faith. By drawing it out. And she makes the comment about even the little dogs get crumbs. I just want a little blessing, Lord. And God said, you know what? I give you the whole enchilada. Go home. Your daughter's healed. I'm paraphrasing that, of course. And the book of Matthew says her faith was great. The second help given was healing a deaf man. And this is found in verse number 31. Verse 31 says this, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. So this is, this is an area, this Decapolis means ten cities. It's an area just off of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was really kind of known as Rome away from Rome, a uh, very secular area. Uh, Gentiles, again, living there. Verse 32 says, Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment of speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephata, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the uh, impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Verse 36 says, Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. 
And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So another miracle here. Uh, this miracle is recorded, by the way, uh, only by Mark. And uh, it's, it would have been especially interesting to uh, the Romans of the time because of this area of the Decapolis, this, these ten cities. But Jesus touches this man's ears as if to say, I understand. And touches his tongue as if to say, I, I understand, this isn't working correctly. And, and it results in a large crowd gathering and bringing people who were ill and handicapped. And even though Jesus was trying to get some rest, you remember he originally went away to this house to kind of hide out, uh, he takes time to heal them all. Again, the book of Matthew expands on this, and it says that, uh, that people just start basically bringing people to the feet of Jesus and dropping them off there. And he, he heals them and makes them whole again. The result is this. Matthew says this. Let me just read it to you. It's out of Matthew 15, verse 31. It says, So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Did you grasp that? These are Gentiles. And they are glorifying the God of Israel. Demon cast out, deaf healed, and now Jesus continu continues here to help the Gentiles. And it's our last uh, bullet point in this section, feeding the 4,000. Feeding the 4,000. Now, last Sunday we read about the feeding of the, how many? 5,000. Let's, uh, let's look here at the, reading of, or the uh, feeding of the 4,000, verse 1 of chapter 8. It says this. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then the disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Can you believe they're asking that? What did we talk about last week? There, okay, I don't want to park there, but verse 5. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and, and he sent them away. Im immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and they came to the region of Dalmanutha. Now we'll stop right there. There are those who uh, try to find contradictions in the Bible, and they often confuse this miracle with the feeding of the 5,000 which is recorded in all four Gospels. Only Matthew and Mark record this event of the 4,000. And you remember the feeding of the 5,000 was 5,000 men. And there were also women and children there, so you know, upwards of 16 to 20,000, something like that. Uh, but it's not difficult to distinguish the two events in the, this miracle of multiplying the bread and fish. The first miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 took place in, in Galilee, near a city called Bethsaida. 
and involved, if you'll remember, primarily Jews. And this miracle takes place in the Decapolis, or that area of ten cities, and involves mostly Gentiles. The first miracle, Jesus started with five loaves and two fish. Here we have seven loaves and a few fish. How many is a few? Trick question. Who knows? And the 5,000 had been with him one day. We just read here that the 4,000 had been with Jesus three days. After the first miracle, 12 baskets of fragments had been left over. Uh, but we read here in this one, the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven uh, large baskets after they were all fed and it was over and done with. What is neat is this, as we begin, and you see in verse 2 there, Jesus had compassion. Did you see that? Jesus has compassion. He knows the crowd's need. However, we're discouraged by you know, the, the blindness and the unbelief of the disciples. They, you know, we read that, and I kind of was read it funny there. Had they completely forgotten the other miracle? You know, what, what was up with that? Had they forgotten what had happened with the feeding of the you know, 16,000, 20,000 people there? And Jesus comes along now to the disciples here, or, or to this group, and also to these men, and says, get a clue, guys. And he's going he's gonna to help them get clued in about what's going on. You know, sometimes we forget, don't we? God is faithful in our lives, answers prayer, and then... You know, before we're too hard on the disciples, sometimes you and I forget about God's faithfulness, don't we? We do the same thing. We're human, just, just like they were. And uh, Jesus, we need to remember, Jesus is still the solution to every problem that we have. All we need to do is trust Him, obey Him, you know, give Him our, our all. But Jesus had compassion here in verse 2. And as I read that this week, I thought of this. Do we have compassion? Do I have compassion? Am I aware of the needs of others? Are we aware of the need for compassion in our family? Am I aware of the need for compassion in my com community? Because sometimes, honestly, you know, I know it never happens with any of you, but I get so busy that I can forget to be aware of needs of people. I, I want to be like Jesus, seeing the compassion need before anybody else. So we've seen in this section, Jesus is teaching the Jews. He's saying, hey, get a clue. It's not about externals. It's about the heart. Then we've seen he's helping the Gentiles. And they are getting a clue because that, that end of these miracles in the book of Matthew said that they are glorifying the God of Israel. Go over to Jewish town. They ain't believing it. They're trying to trap him, all that. Jesus goes out here to Gentile towns, and they're glorifying the God of Israel. That's pretty cool. And, and we see Jesus interact with a third group, and that's warning the disciples. Warning the disciples. And this is uh, in the remainder of our chapter 8 today. But let's, let's read just verses 11 and 12 of chapter 8. As he, he begins to warn the disciples, it says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. And you're kind of like, where you guys been? Sign from heaven? Just been doing those. 
but they want to test him. Look at verse 12. This is great. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. So the Pharisees want to see a sign here. And Jesus is disappointed by this. He sighs within himself. You know why? Because true faith doesn't require a sign. A little more on that later. But he leaves the area and goes to the other side, the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's look now in verse 13. So he kind of just shows up here, and then they want a sign, and he's like, ah, oh, disappointed, back in the boat, going over here. You know, avoiding the paparazzi, I mean the, the Pharisees. You know, you get the picture. And so, yeah, and so, uh, so let's look at verse 13. It goes on to say this. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have no bread that Jesus is saying this? You know, what's going on here? Well, let's explain leaven for just a moment, uh, because... Uh, they, it, it gets mentioned here in verse 15, leaven. Leaven is leftover yeast. And uh, I, I don't know if any of you have ever been given one of those bags of bread dough. It's like the eternal bag of bread. And you make some bread with it, but you make sure you pinch off a little bit of the dough and you put it in a Ziploc bag. And then you give it, it grows and you give it to somebody else. Anybody ever do that but me? Okay, yeah, lot, lots of you. And they're like, this piece of bread dough in this bag, this, this leftover leaven that we're putting into this new bag, came over on the boat with my family from Ireland. And you're like, oh, a lot of responsibility laid on me there. Pass it on. Okay, so that's leaven, leftover yeast there. But here, Jesus is talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and Herod, their beliefs, they're messed up views. And Jesus is warning them about that. Watch out for these messed up views from the Pharisees and, and from Herod. Matthew includes another group, the Sadducees, these other religious groups. And the disciples thought he was talking about bread. Okay, verse 17 says this. We'll see what happens with this. Verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? In this interesting talk about bread after the feeding of the 4,000 with seven baskets left over, and they're worried they have one loaf, and Jesus is in the boat? Hey, Jesus, we only got one loaf of bread. You know that thing you've done twice now? Can you just do that on a little smaller scale? Maybe give us 12 loaves? Poof. You know? But they're worried about this. Verse 17, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. 
Jesus goes on, also when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? So we're reading here, Jesus is getting on them and trying to clue them in saying, you guys don't have any discernment. You have lost spiritual sight of what is really going on here. And the point of all of that talk about leaven and the bread and the one loaf we've got left in the boat, Jesus is saying this, why worry and argue over one loaf of bread when you have Jesus in the boat with you? And don't you understand who I am compared to the doctrine of the Pharisees and these other religious groups? In comparison to these other religious leaders, don't you see who I am? Get a clue, guys. That's what's going on here. These other religious groups and leaders have been ingrained, been ingrained into these disciples' minds for their whole life since birth. But Jesus has been doing these things and healing and feeding 5,000 and 4,000 and all of these other good things. And people are glorifying the God of Israel and Jesus is going, do you not see the difference between me who you've been traveling around with and these other religious groups? The non-truth? Get a clue, guys. Look at verse 22. He goes on here. Verse 22 through 26. It says, Then he came to Bethsaida, uh, the other little area right there, again, around the Sea of Galilee. And they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him he asked him if he saw anything and he looked up and he said I see men like trees walking then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly then he sent him away to his house saying neither go into town nor tell anyone in town okay so he, he, he spits in the man's eyes says what do you see and he's like I see men walking like trees then Jesus gives him an adjustment, like at the eye doctor, you know, does it again, and, and you can just imagine him going, okay, number one, or number two? <laughs> two? Okay, number two, or number three? Okay, two's good for your right eye, okay. Three here? Okay, great. And then he does that, and the, the man can see perfectly. How's this look, you know? And in this section, Mark has recorded a couple miracles that aren't found in, in the other Gospels. Uh, the healing of the deaf man and uh, the healing of this blind man right here outside Bethsaida. And so it kind of closes up what's been going on to this point with another miracle. A healing again. Saying to all there, all nearby, all who see and hear about it, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Hey, folks, that is the problem that the world has with Christianity, by the way. Jesus is God. Not like one, not a good prophet, not, you know, great fella. No, Jesus is God. And he brings healing. He brings forgiveness of sins. And the Pharisees all this time are going, following him around in their little cars and stuff, going, we're seeking a sign. Get a clue, guys. 
Jesus is God. Oh, we need to see another sign, Jesus. Okay, I'll come back to your area and we'll, you know, heal some more. You drop off a, in, in, a, you know, a number of people that we can't even count at my feet. I'll heal all of them. Because he has compassion and they're blind to it. They're blind to it. They just, they can't understand that Jesus is God. And Jesus is going, get a clue, guys. Well, throughout this, these events in 7 and 8 here, the disciples learned some important lessons on this trip. They went to several cities and all of that. And these were lessons that they would need to remember and apply in their ministry in later years. But today, we need to learn these same lessons. And they're important ones. These are in your notes as well. The first one is simply this. Don't seek after signs. But live in faith by His Word. Don't seek after signs, but live in faith by His Word. Are we to be sign seekers? No. Take God at His Word. And oftentimes we say, God, if you'll do this for me, then I will step out in faith. That's backwards. You get that? That is backwards of faith. You know, our, our pastor and his wife could have gone, God, you give us a place to meet with theater seats and all the bells and whistles, and we will plant a church. Is that faith? No, that's, that's backwards. You know? I know a couple other people on our leadership team who, who could have said, God, if you sell our house and just, you know, do these ten things here for us, we'll step out on faith and, and come to Colorado. Is that faith? No, 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 that's mixed up. Faith is stepping out. Believing God is who he said he is. Faith is stepping out. Believing that God is going to do what he's said he's going to do. Then those other things come. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know? Let me ask you this morning, where is God asking you to step out in faith? But you're going, if you'll do this thing for me first, then I will step out on faith, God. You know, where is God asking you this morning to step out on faith? A second lesson that we learn from this is avoid false teaching. Avoid false teaching or doctrine. False teaching, doctrine. Uh, we live in a world where we don't want to call anyone out on anything. Right? And somebody says something about, somebody calls somebody out on something. I'm, I'm getting somewhere with this, bear with me. And... Uh, and, we, and someone goes, oh, we shouldn't say that about them. I'll tell you what, there are religions adding to the word of God, writing their own Bible, holding the traditions of men higher than the word of God, Doing things not in this book and in many cases are contrary to this book. That's going on in our world today. And I'll just say it. 
And a lesson for us is avoid that false teaching or doctrine. The disciples way back then had to watch out for that and worry about it. And guess what? We do too. Because every once in a while, some new slick guy will come along with something, you know, supposedly new and throw it out there and say, you know, this is, this is of God. And if, if you know this book, if you've got a good handle on the Word of God because we've been going through it, because you're going through discipleship at the Orchard Church, when that comes along, you will go, no, it's not. No, it is not of the Word of God. And how dare you say that? A third uh, lesson that they had to learn as disciples and that, that we need to learn is simply this. Trust Jesus to meet needs. Trust Jesus to meet needs. So Jesus casts out a demon. He, you know, he's healing. He's feeding the 5,000, the 4,000. You know, There's no bread. What are we going to do now? All of that is going on. We've got to trust Jesus to meet needs. A lot of times a need will come along and here's what we'll do. Okay, man, I got to think up my plan A and my plan B and my plan C and I got to figure this out on my own. And I better grab some self-help stuff because I got to figure this out. I got to meet my need, right? We do that, don't we? And we have forgotten that a few months or year or years earlier, God came through and was faithful and met needs. And then a new crisis comes along and we go, oh my gosh, I've got I've to figure this out on my own. And if I can't, if it comes right down to it as a last resort, I'll have to pray. <laughs> We're like, what? No, 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 that's, that's backwards. That's backwards. God was faithful. He met needs. Guess what? Next, next crisis, next need you have, whether that's financial or with your children or in your family, your marriage, whatever that is at work, guess what? Trust Jesus to meet needs. Trust Him to meet needs. He's been faithful in the past. And now you're freaking out. So let me ask you this morning, when are you going to trust Jesus to meet your needs? And I want to ask some of you this morning this question. Have you trusted Jesus to meet the greatest need that you have? And that is the needing of a Savior. The Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. No man can know it. We touched on that in the message today. That we need a Savior to make us new. To forgive us of our sins. And Jesus is there waiting to meet that need. And the good news is this. If you've never received Christ as your Savior and said, Jesus, I'm giving you all of me. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. If you've never done that, here's the good news. You can do that right here this morning in your seat. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer today?